I've treated hundreds of patients and trained thousands of healthcare professionals over my 15-year career. And one thing I've learned through that experience is that most people are really confused about supplements, or they lack a clear strategy or plan for how to use supplements to improve their health. That's why I created Adapt Naturals. It's a supplement line designed to add back in what the modern world has squeezed out and help you feel and perform your best. Our ancestors' diets were rich in the essential vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients we need for optimal function. But today, thanks to declining soil quality, a growing toxic burden, and other challenges in the modern world, most of us are not getting enough of these critical nutrients. I formulated Adapt Naturals using the principles of evolutionary biology and modern research to fill the nutrient gaps that we face today and replicate the nutrient intakes found in an optimal ancestral diet. Our flagship offering is called the Core Plus Bundle, a daily stack of five products that gives you everything you need each day, from essential vitamins and minerals like B12, folate, magnesium, and vitamin D, to phytonutrients like bioflavonoids, carotenoids, and beta-glucans. You can also order the products in the bundle separately if that works better for your needs. The Adapt Naturals products are made from the highest quality, food-based, or bioidentical ingredients, from cellular and immune health to brain and nervous system support to blood sugar and heart health, we've got you covered. Your supplement cupboard is about to get a lot smaller. We also created an app called Core Reset to help you get your nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress management dialed in. Because no matter how good our supplements are, and they are really good, you can't supplement yourself out of a bad diet and lifestyle. The best part is that you get this app at no additional cost when you order the Core Plus bundle. Head over to adaptnaturals.com, that's A-D-A-P-T naturals.com, to learn more and start feeling and performing your best. Hey everybody, Chris Kresser here. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Health Radio. The latest statistics suggest that up to 50 million Americans are living with an autoimmune disease today at a cost of almost $90 billion a year. New autoimmune diseases are being discovered every year. I think the list is over 80 uh, distinct conditions now. And they are very poorly served by the conventional medical establishment. Uh, I've seen this firsthand as a functional medicine clinician with almost 15 years of experience treating patients with autoimmune disease. The typical treatments uh, are drugs that just suppress the symptoms like steroids. And although these can be necessary and even life-saving in some situations, it's clear that they are not addressing the root cause of autoimmunity, which is really what we need to be doing uh, if we want to get a handle on this uh, alarming growth of this condition. So. I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Akhil Palanasamy as my guest. He's been a guest on Revolution Health Radio before. He's a Harvard-trained physician who practices integrative and functional medicine, blending his conventional medical expertise with holistic approaches, including functional medicine and Ayurveda. And Akhil and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, and I, I especially like his approach to autoimmunity. I think it's balanced. It's evidence-based, and it's really geared towards helping people to address the root causes of their condition so that they can recover their health and live a full and vibrant life. So in this show, we're going to talk about his new book called The Tiger Protocol, which is an integrative five-step program for treating 
uh, and healing autoimmune disease. And we'll talk about uh, TIGER, as you probably gathered, is an acronym. So we'll talk about what those letters stand for, what some of his most important recommendations are from his decades of experience treating autoimmune patients with autoimmune conditions, and some you know simple and practical strategies that, that you can use at home for improving your quality of life if you are someone who is dealing with an autoimmune disease. So I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you will as well. Let's dive in. Dr. Akil, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Chris, for inviting me back. So I want to talk about your new book, The Tiger Protocol, an integrative five-step program to treat and heal your autoimmunity. Uh, it's out on May 9th. I've always had great respect for your work and Autoimmunity is a problem that is unfortunately not going away. And in fact, uh, the number of people that are diagnosed with autoimmune disease seems to rise every year. The number, the number of autoimmune diseases themselves seems to increase every year. And yes. my perspective is, and I'm, I'm sure you agree, is that it is one of the health conditions that is most poorly treated by the conventional medicine establishment. So if, if anything is ripe for a functional medicine approach, it's autoimmunity. So I'm really excited to dive into this with you. And, and maybe you could start by telling everyone what led you to, to write this book in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So you're totally right, Chris. Um, us in medicine, are we, we're not very skilled at uh, um, treating quality of life issues or uh, treating root causes. And so in autoimmune disease, we have wonderful medications, you know, drugs that suppress the immune system, steroids, uh, they can be life-saving. Um, but then, you know, beyond that, uh, there's not much that's offered. And uh, patients are really hungry, you know, as you know, for integrative solutions, for diet and lifestyle um, recommendations. And so in my practice, it just organically evolved that I started seeing more and more um, autoimmune patients. And you know, over the past 20 years, I've been practicing, I've um, created and fine-tuned this protocol. And then I saw, you know, good results in terms of uh, improving immune function, reducing inflammation, helping quality of life. And um, therefore, yeah, I wanted to put it all together in the book so more people could learn about it. Fantastic. So I'm just going to jump right into some of the potential root causes of autoimmunity uh, that, that I think some folks are not even aware of because, again, it's, it's the, the conventional treatment is usually just suppressing the symptoms with drugs. And as you pointed out, there is, there is a case for, for that. You know, there are situations, for example, where uh, someone who is having a very severe Crohn's disease flare, you know, might need medication to to sort of quell that flare and get them back to a point where they can address these longer term issues. Or another, another example that comes to mind is, is someone who has Graves disease and yes. is in a thyroid storm, you know, that, that can be fatal, right? So you, you want to, drugs can be very necessary in that situation, but generally there's very little exploration or discussion about what these root causes are. So in your book, you talk about uh, environmental toxins as a um, you know growing literature linking an, a whole range of toxins to mm -hmm. immune disruption and autoimmunity. So can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the TIGER protocol, you know, is the acronym. So T is for toxins. And I'm putting that first because I feel like it's the hidden uh, biggest driver that uh, a lot of people don't think about. Um, and um, so in the book, I review 20 different categories of toxins toxins that have been associated with increased risk of autoimmunity. Um, so heavy metals, endocrine disrupting chemicals, uh, pesticides, BPA, waterborne toxins, air pollution, PFCs, PCBs. Um, so, you know, each of them individually uh, conveys a increased risk of autoimmunity. So when you start combining them, you know, the studies have shown that most people have um, over 100 or, up, you know, between 100 to 200 uh, levels of significant toxins, then they have synergistic effects. And we're starting to see now some new, some research about that because uh, um, we need to know how all of these factors are, are working together because that's the reality. You know, we're all exposed to chronic low level accumulation of multiple, you know, probably um, hundreds of toxins. And uh, that is um, really a huge factor in driving oxidative stress, driving inflammation, and driving autoimmunity. Absolutely. And it's, it's, as you said, it's, we're really just kind of scratching the surface of understanding the synergistic effects of these compounds. And yes, up until relatively recently, the study of toxicology was mostly concerned with extreme, you know, acute toxicity. Right. Uh, and we, we didn't even really understand what the impacts of low level chronic exposure were, nor did we understand that those impacts are often quite different than the impacts of acute toxicity. They're not just, mm -hmm. you know, I think toxicologists just assume that, you know, with lower exposure, you just get sort of junior versions of the, of the impacts that you get at higher exposure, but it turns out that that's not true and they can be totally different and sometimes even opposite in, in, in some cases. So yeah, it's, it's, this is, to me, this is like a major problem that, unfortunately is difficult to avoid if we're living yes. in the in the industrial world which many mm -hmm. of almost everyone listening to this podcast is uh, it's not something that we can just avoid yes um no you're you're totally right and i think the perfect example of that is glyphosate because the acute toxicity studies have been done and that's why there's controversy because the, you know those scientists are saying uh, the acute toxicity it has to be very high dose but with um, autoimmune disease, there are two mechanisms that are not being well studied. One is that glyphosate inhibits your um, cytochrome P450 liver enzymes, which are critical for detox. Um, so it, it impairs the clearance of those uh, all the environmental toxins. And then secondly, glyphosate came to market as an antibiotic You know, many years ago. It uh, causes a decline in beneficial bacteria, predisposes to dysbiosis. So I think these kind of things need more study in terms of the long-term effects of that. Um, and um, I agree with you. That's a direction we need to pursue. So even though we can't completely eliminate our exposure to these toxins in most cases, what are some of the recommendations you suggest in terms of mi mitigating or minimizing exposure? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think it's try to do both, try to reduce your exposure to toxins and then try to enhance detoxification. And then the first thing to remember is mindset, because I don't want people to be depressed or overwhelmed. You know, that's not my goal. Uh, I want to, people to approach it because it's easy to get overwhelmed with the, the mountain of research. Um, but, you know, we all have our own detox capacities. And in terms of um, reducing exposures, 
I think uh, purifying your drinking water, like getting a really good filter is beneficial. Purifying your air with a um, home filter, which I know you've talked about extensively. Um, there was an interesting study about um, your shoes. So removing your shoes upon entering the house um, actually is beneficial because um, on the bottoms of your shoes, you know, studies have found lead, pesticides, um, harmful bacteria. So if you're leaving them uh, at the door, then they're not going to be tracked into your house. So that's something a um, little bit, you know, less well known. Um, I think some other strategies are reducing your exposure to heavy metals, especially mercury and lead. Um, and um, using, you know, healthy, um, like uh, cooking vessels. Um, and um, you, you have to also look at your personal care products. Uh, the environmental working group has a, um, a lot of guidelines there. And um, finally, like the household chemicals that we're all exposed to, you know, cleaning materials at home, and then also indoor air, yeah, is, is very important. Yeah. A lot to consider, but there's yes. a lot of, you know, both uh, Akhil and I have articles about this and, um, you know, to chip away at it. Uh, I think starting with the biggest offenders, the personal care products, because, yes. you know, our skin is one of the barrier systems in our body. But what a lot of people don't realize is the gut is actually a much less permeable barrier than the skin, because mm -hmm. from an evolutionary perspective, we were at risk of, you know, dying from eating something that was toxic. So we evolved mechanisms to the, the gut evolved mechanisms to keep toxins out. There weren't really any examples of skin creams, you know, that mm -hmm. were happening mm -hmm. uh, millions of, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, our ancestors weren't putting things on their skin. So the skin never evolved that kind of discernment, you could say. Mm -hmm. So whatever yes. we put on our skin actually has, I think, a much greater potential for causing toxicity. And, and those a lot of uh, personal care products with chemicals fall into that category. Yeah, that's a great point. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the next, which is the eye in Tiger. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is healing infections. I mean, I, I think most recently, the way that this has been on people's radar is with COVID and, and SARS coronavirus too. And the discussion around how infection with SARS coronavirus 2 can uh, perhaps predispose people to autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. In fact, this, this shouldn't have been a surprise, right? Because we have right. a long history of literature uh, linking all kinds of different infections, not just SARS coronavirus 2, but all kinds of other viruses and bacteria and fun fungi, et cetera. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think infections are, you know, a really big factor. Um, and in terms of the overall approach, my I uh, try to focus on the terrain of the body, you know, the internal environment, making your body inhospitable to infections rather than focusing excessively on the germ or the microbe, you know. So um, we do include uh, like antimicrobial herbs and spices in, in the protocol, but I think, uh, you know, focusing on the terrain is really the emphasis. Um, and, uh, and you're exactly right. Yeah, many different categories of organisms have been uh, associated with increased risk of autoimmunity. So uh, bacteria, of course, in the microbiome. So dysbiosis, which is the decline in beneficial keystone species and overgrowth of potential pathogens. There's also the virome, which is the community of viruses that is uh, very interesting, you know, new research, uh, early research about the connection with autoimmunity. 
And then there's the mycobiome, which is all the fungi, like um, candida is the most well-known one, but there is um, pretty good research that, that can play a role in, in certain people. And, and then we have parasites and archaea as well. So I think um, there's a broad range of different uh, microbes, and um, the focus is you know, make your body inhospitable, make your gut inhospitable, and then try to include some of these natural antimicrobial compounds like spices and herbs to support that process. Yeah, you and I have agreed on this for a long time, I think. It's, right. it's uh, the, the pendulum, I think, sw went too far in the other direction with, mm -hmm. you know, we, when we, germ theory and, and the discovery of the germs cause disease was perhaps one of the most important breakthroughs in the mm -hmm. history of science and medicine. So yes. uh, we're yeah. not disputing that, of course. But th the idea that we should then, that all microbes are harmful and we need to create as sterile of an environment as possible, whether we're talking about in inside of our bodies or in our, you know, in our external environment. I and mean, we now know that that's not a good approach either. And mm -hmm. that through, you know, the hygiene hypothesis or the old friends hypothesis and the idea that these microbes actually uh, play beneficial roles. And mm -hmm. we could even consider ourselves more of an ecosystem than an individual. In right. Exactly. It's so important that we preserve that ecological, the health of that ecological community. And I love what you just said, you know, doing that with combination of diet and pro probiotics and prebiotics and spices and herbs and things that, Essentially, if you use the keep the garden healthy, uh, exactly because then in that garden, the, the weeds and the other pathogens will be less likely to take over, right? Exactly, yep. So, that's a good segue into G, which is gut health, because yes, gut health, as we just discussed, is uh, important for uh, protecting us against infections. It's also important for helping us to detoxify toxins, which was the first, which was T. So mm -hmm. You know, it seems to me that it, it's funny because G is the center of this word tiger, but it's mm -hmm. also playing a central role in mm -hmm. in this entire approach, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you and I have been speaking for a long time about how the gut is foundational and uh, affects every organ system. So uh, many people have heard about the microbiome, but in the book, I really wanted to do a deep dive. And um, so I um, cover five of the keystone species that are very important and actually make up a um, huge percentage of the microbiome. Like, for example, uh, bacteroides can be um, up to 25% of all species in a healthy microbiome. And it's a pathobiont, which means that it's highly uh, dependent on the environment, highly pH dependent uh, in, the, in the intestine, and can be either beneficial or very harmful depending on the environment. So uh, Fecalobacterium prosnitzii, which is a another keystone species up to 15% of all species in a uh, healthy microbiome, um, very important in uh, COVID. It, that's kind of help, helped make it more well-known. Uh, you know, it, it seems to play a role in the immune system, in you know, inflammation. Um, and then, of course, um, there's bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, which most people have heard about, but um, I think that they do play a role in, um, in immune health. And then Finally, there's acromancia, which is um, uh, acromancia mucinophila that is 
now being well known uh, for its role in metabolism and blood sugar and healthy weight. Um, and there is some controversy about the, the role of acromancia in autoimmunity because certain conditions, specifically multiple sclerosis, there's three studies that showed uh, increased presence of acromancia. But there are researchers who argue that is more a result of a disrupted mi gut microbiome and not a cause of it, which is my view, um, that acromancia, you know, in most studies, because of the remodeling it triggers for the, the gut mucus and gut lining leads to an increase in gut, um, you know, mucus thickness and so I th I think it's uh, it is real it's really a beneficial bacteria to try to raise up through foods. Um, so I think yeah I just wanted to kind of teach people more about what are the individual organisms and how to support each of them with certain foods. Great yeah and that's not uncommon you know some people would make the argument that cholesterol has mm. a similar function as a repair substance I th I think. Mm -hmm there is some merit to that, but it, when you see something elevated, it doesn't mean that that thing, you know, that's confusion of correlate correlation and causation, right? Which right. is a fundamental thing that we, we hopefully learn <laughs> when we're studying research methodology. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it is, uh, difficult to tease out sometimes mm -hmm. that chain of causality. So yeah, these, these bacterium, um, it's really, even just in the time you and I have been doing this work, Akil, that, that mm -hmm. we've learned a lot more uh, oh, yeah. about, yep. particularly about the anaerobic uh, species, which we didn't really initially have insight into because they couldn't easily be cultured. Um, yes, now exactly. The you know PC, uh, all of the new um, methodologies for testing make that a lot easier, and and we found that they mm -hmm. these are actually in many cases the major players um, that we didn't even know about before. Right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So the, the E is learn to eat right. So this is uh, something that people will probably be most familiar with when it comes to, you know, just general health and well-being. But autoimmunity, people with autoimmunities may require, you know, eating right for them might be somewhat different than eating right for people without autoimmunity. So how are you approaching this? Because there's obviously so many different ways of looking at the, the right diet for someone with autoimmune disease. Yes, absolutely. So um, this is my favorite topic, you know, I really believe in food as medicine. And um, the book has tons of recipes from my kitchen, you know, that I use. Um, so the way I approach it is I've broken it up into two uh, uh, diets. One is the phase one diet, which is more of a elimination diet, more restrictive. And then there's the phase two diet, which is designed to boost your microbiome diversity. It's more of a long term diet. Um, I know, you know, this is something you and I have seen in our practice that sometimes patients end up say, staying on a very restrictive diet for too long, uh, like the AIP diet and not, and then losing some of that beneficial diversity in the microbiome, which is harmful in the, in the long run. So you do need to start with an elimination diet. Um, and um, so I talk about, you know, some of the uh, like differences between food sensitivity versus food intolerance versus food allergy. Um, and then the main way that my um, elimination diet, the phase one, differs from, for example, the AIP is that um, 
I include mung beans because um, mung beans are unique among all legumes in Ayurveda, the system of medicine from India, because they're considered to be the most easily digestible. They're part of a dish called kichari, which is a, a medicinal dish in uh, Ayurveda. And then I also um, allow like gluten-free grains. Um, so if people tolerate rice or, um, you know, quinoa or other um, gluten-free grains, then I, I don't often see um, that that is inflammatory for people. Uh, there are, of course, a subset of patients that have to be off all, all grains and, um, you know, you have to uh, kind of investigate that, but I don't think it's automatic for everyone. So that way you're getting a little more um, flexibility, even with the elimination diet. And then the phase two diet is really all about how to reintroduce the um, prebiotic foods. So um, the different categories of prebiotic foods, um, including um, polyphenols. So foods that are rich in polyphenols are often the best tolerated, even by patients with SIBO or dysbiosis. And then I go through the top foods that contain inulin, resistant starch, and all three types of resistant starch, the arabinogalactans, the various other types of prebiotic foods, and uh, also emphasize fermented foods in the in the long-term diet, but I really place more emphasis on the prebiotic foods because I feel like fermented foods are, you know, recognized and emphasized, but we have a lot of research on the, the health benefits of, you know, getting these prebiotic foods that you can tolerate into your diet. Excellent. Yeah. And um, just funny anecdote, when I did a 30-day meditation retreat in, um, in Thailand when I was in my 20s, and the only thing we were allowed to eat during that time was kitchari. So oh, have, uh, wow. Great. In, in the evenings, we had uh, uh, the, the midday meal. We had no food in the evening, and we had a light breakfast. But uh, So I have this taste of kitchari is like deeply ingrained <laughs> in my psyche. <laughs> I, even right now, if I think about it, I can. it's vivid. And I really like it. Like There, there was quite a while where I couldn't eat a bowl of kitchari sure. <laughs> because I was just so tired of it. But yeah, it was interesting because at that time I was struggling with, with my health and my gut health, but, uh, and I couldn't really eat any other legumes or beans, mm, but the kitchari didn't cause any, any problem for me, which I was, mm -hmm. it was one of my biggest hesitations of doing that retreat. Cause I was like, Oh mm. my gosh, I'm going to be eating legumes every day. <laughs> you know, this is going to wreak havoc, but it didn't. So I, I find that interesting that you allow that even on the, the phase one part of the diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that fascinating story. Yeah, you know, many, uh, many Ayurvedic um, hospitals in India, the entire diet that people eat for like a 21 or 28 day cleanse is kitchari. So that's all yeah, they're eating. The and then plenty cleanse. of ghee. Yeah, and ghee as well. Yeah, yeah, we had we did add some ghee. Because if all I was eating was kitchen, I did lose quite a bit of weight, as you oh, can imagine. Okay. But I yep. think the ghee helped to make that less, <laughs> less severe than it would have been otherwise. If you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I'm a super active guy. Depending on the time of year, I'm either skiing, mountain biking, hiking, backpacking, surfing, or lifting weights on most days of the week. I also live in a really dry climate at high elevation. For these reasons, I pay a lot of attention to hydration. I've learned the hard way what happens when I get dehydrated, and I know how important hydration is to overall health. But hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. This is where Element comes in. 
It's a combination of electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium in easy-to-use individual packets that you just add right to your water bottle. And unlike most electrolyte products on the market, Element is free of sugar and artificial junk. I drink Element every day, and it's made a huge difference in how I feel. Even with my training and profession, I don't think I realized how often I was dehydrated before I made Element part of my daily routine. If you'd like to try it, the folks at Element have an exclusive offer for my podcast listeners. You can get a free sample pack with one of each of the eight flavors Element sells when you purchase any Element product. This is perfect for anyone who wants to try all of the flavors or who wants to introduce a friend to Element. Just go to cresser.co slash Element, that's L-M-N-T, to place an order and take advantage of this offer. Vitamin C is a critical nutrient for immune function and antioxidant protection. Yet most people don't get enough in their diet, and most vitamin C supplements contain synthetic forms, GMO, sugar, or allergens like soy or corn. This is why I recommend whole food forms of vitamin C, which contain the full spectrum of vitamin C activity without GMOs or other junk. And my favorite whole food vitamin C product is Essential C from Paleo Valley. It's made with three of the most potent vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet, one of which is 120 times more potent than an orange. Nothing synthetic, no weird questionable ingredients, just food. Right now, they're offering my community an exclusive 15% off discount. Just go to paleovalley.com slash chris and use the code CRESSER15 to get 15% off. All right, so the last one... And, and this is one of great interest to me and mm-hmm. uh, is, is rest and rebalance. So yeah, there's two R's there uh, that yep. you're combining into one. Um, I will say from my 15 years of experience now working with autoimmune patients that I think this is the most underrated one of the bunch and, and that, and one where I have often seen people, make great progress when everything else has not yielded results. So I'm curious to hear about your experience with this and and what you suggest in this category. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think it's um, absolutely fundamental and uh, a key part of um, immune health, inflammation, and just longevity, you know, overall. Um, So um, you know, when I start talking about stress, uh, usually my patients like eyes glaze over and they just kind of, <laughs> you know, like zone out. Uh, but, um, I've learned to kind of give people options because, uh, I'm a big fan of meditation. You know, there is uh, research showing that meditation reduces inflammation and lowers levels of your C-reactive protein and tumor necrosis factor alpha. It helps your gut. It transforms your brain through neuroplasticity literally grows your brain, you know, your hippocampus gets bigger, frontal cortex gets bigger, white and gray matter both uh, increase in in size. So if you um, are okay with meditation, you know, it's unsurpassed in terms of like health promoting benefits, but it's not for everyone. Um, And the studies show that um, there are many different ways to climb the mountain and, you know, tackle stress. Um, So Things that are beneficial include um, psychotherapy, um, you know, guided imagery, the prayer for certain people, gratitude practices, yoga or tai chi. So there's a lot of different ways to come at it. The main thing is I, I recommend people find something they can do every day. 
So something that they enjoy, something they can do, even if it's for five or 10 minutes every day, I think um, it's really key to uh, continuously be clearing out stress from our body and preventing it from uh, exerting its negative impacts, you know, if it builds up to uh, a high level. Absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to put in a plug here for having fun um, yes. as yes. an antidote to stress. And that's one of my preferred stress busting uh, approaches is, I mean, I, I'm, I started meditating when I'm when I was 17. So I, oh, wow. and I'm 48 now. So it's been over 30 years and I'm huge, huge proponent of meditation. Uh, absolutely. And, and I think I agree with you. It's unsurpassed, uh, in, because it's such a full and rich practice that, that can support us in so many ways. And I think that I, I like talking about fun as a stress management modality because it, you rarely hear that, <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, uh, yes. it's usually like, Oh God, I got to sit down and meditate or I have to like do really slow movements and Tai Chi or Qigong or deep breathing, which all of which are great and really helpful. But mm -hmm. even just doing something you really enjoy or laughing, um, playing with your pets or your kids, those release endorphins. And, and you talk about this as well, that those endorphins have a, a regulatory role on the immune system it's like the the whole principle of patch adams right if you've seen if people who've seen that movie yeah yeah and i re i recall you and i led a retreat on burnout for physicians you know many years ago before the pandemic um and i i remember how you spoke about uh, play and having fun and uh you know it was uh, it was really kind of a shock i think to these physicians to hear that but <laughs> yeah. it, it was very uh great i think that you opened their eyes to that because it's so powerful Absolutely. And, and it's fun, right? Having yes, fun is exactly. fun. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it might yeah. be easier to convince some of our patients to have more yes. fun than it is to get them to meditate, right? Oh, <laughs> so, for sure. Yes. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So um, I want to talk about a few other things from your book that I really appreciated uh, and I think can play a significant role. Um, one is the role of the oral microbiome. So this is something that's definitely gained more attention. You know, I don't think really any, very many people were talking about this at all, even 10 years ago, much less uh, 20. Uh, but now we, there's quite a bit of research that suggests that the health of our, of our gums and our teeth and what's happening in our mouth can really actually um, have a major impact on our immune function. Yes, for sure. Um, you know, I think the oral microbiome is now being increasingly connected to heart disease, diabetes, cancer, uh, infections, and uh, autoimmunity. And I was very kind of surprised by how um, strong the research is. The um, oral microbiome is our second biggest microbiome. So about 6 billion bacteria, whereas the GI microbiome is about 40 billion. And we swallow um, probably on average between 800 billion oral bacteria per day on the low end to more than 1 trillion oral bacteria per day every day. And there are no breaks, there are no days off. And so that's why, you know, it's so important what's the makeup of those um, those microbes. And there is also leaky mouth syndrome, just like you have uh, leaky gut syndrome, you can have increased intestinal permeability, you can have dysbiosis in the oral microbiome, you know, it, which is increases of pathogens, decline of the keystone species, 
Um, and so to strengthen the oral microbiome, there's, you know, many strategies, but from Ayurveda, um, I think oil pulling is a, is a very uh, beneficial practice um, and also tongue scraping where you are cleaning your tongue, either with a toothbrush or a tongue cleaner every day that also reduces quite a bit of the um, pathogenic bacteria. And then from the diet point of view, I'm a big fan of green tea, which is a prebiotic that supports both your oral and intestinal microbiome. So I just tell people to swish around green tea in their mouth before swallowing, and it gets to those oral bacteria. Um, and then it goes into your gut and has other benefits too. Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of matcha because you get the highest levels of the catechins, which are the antioxidants that are active and prebiotic. So I think um, that's a um, good way with diet and lifestyle practices like those Ayurvedic techniques. And then finally, you know, we do have to talk about like root canals and uh, that's potentially um, an area that's um, can be a, a real unrecognized driver for autoimmunity. So um, not for everybody, but for some people, they can be a hidden nidus of infections contribute to inflammation. There's a lot better technology now, certain like the uh, 3D cone beam x-rays to investigate and working with specialists that uh, uh, can look and see if that's an issue for you. But uh, there's so much from the oral microbiome that's uh, relevant to health. Absolutely. Yeah. We. It's something that I think we're going to just learn more and more about as, as our understanding improves. And, and mm -hmm. I think the, unfortunately, in my experience, it's still, I think our, the understanding of, of how this contributes is, is a little bit ahead of, uh, people's ability to access, mm -hmm. you know, advanced dental and, and, um, periodontal care that, that is consistent with these newer, uh, with this newer understanding principles, but I, I that will change over time. So hopefully sooner rather than later. Yes. Um, uh, another one topic I want to cover is one that I know you have uh, been a big advocate for and, you know, since your first book and, and something you've just often spoken about, especially in the context of herbs and spices, which are a big part of Ayurveda mm -hmm. is, uh, polyphenols and the phytonutrients that we get from uh, plant foods like vegetables, fruits, um, nuts, seeds, and of course, herbs and spices, which are among the most nutrient-dense foods that we can eat. Yeah, um, so I think polyphenols are really central to my phase two diet because of their um, anti-inflammatory benefits, their prebiotic effects. And in the literature, there's actually published data about hundreds of foods and their polyphenol content. So I put that all together in tables going through every category. Like, um, for example, in um, fruits and uh, in fruits, uh, elderberries, the highest uh, in polyphenol, followed by blueberry and black currant. So um, elderberries is something that, you know, is, of course, has benefits for your immune system as well. And in vegetables, uh, it's capers, black olives, and green olives that are like way above uh, most other vegetables. This is all looking at like 100 grams of um, serving size. And then with um, herbs and spices, there's clove powder, uh, dried peppermint. Those are both like three times the amount of polyphenols as the you know other other compounds. And so um, yeah, so like also um, ground flax seeds and chestnuts are the the most uh, rich uh, polyphenols in terms of nuts, beans, and seeds. 
So I think that, you know, it's beneficial because many people with SIBO cannot tolerate the um, inulin-rich foods, you know, which are kind of high FODMAP foods. Uh, many people with autoimmune disease don't tolerate legumes, which are incredibly good sources of prebiotic and resistant starch. But if you can't tolerate them, you can go to the polyphenols and choose from, you know, these lists, uh, whatever you can tolerate, that will really help uh, boost your microbiome diversity. Yeah, I, I'm excited about this, um, and I've I've appreciated your balanced approach with with on this topic over the years. I, th I think again, this is something you and I agree on because, you know, on the one hand, you have plant-based diet advocates who believe that we can get everything we need from plants and we don't need to eat animals, and on the other end, more recently, you have the carnivore camp that mm -hmm. believe that there's you know, we, there's nothing that we need from plants. And my way of looking at it, which I think you agree with, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that the, the best diet for most people is a combination of both plant and animal foods. And Agreed. one of the reasons for that is these phytonutrients and mm -hmm. not just polyphenols, but lignans and, uh, you know, soluble fibers, beta-glucan, all the interesting compounds that now science has really... Uh, shining the light on in terms of their health benefits. They're not essential in the sense that vitamins and minerals are that we literally cannot live without, you know, we'll develop acute diseases and, and die. But if you want to live a good life and a healthy life mm -hmm. and a long life, they appear to be very important. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So the last thing I want to talk about is um, some of the more maybe experimental therapies, we could say. Uh, things that are being studied now, there may not be as much research on them yet, but they uh, you know, they have some interesting mechanisms. There's already been some interesting pilot studies or bigger studies, and anecdotally, patients are getting good results with them. So I'm thinking about things like uh, vagus nerve stimulation with a PONS device and some of the other therapies you mentioned later in your book. Uh, so yeah, maybe pick a couple that you think are most promising that you're, you're using with patients or that you like, and, and I'd love to hear about those. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is exciting because there are um, a lot of, um, you know, things coming on the horizon that I think will be very beneficial. Yes, you mentioned the, the PONS device. So that's very interesting. It uses a, a portable tongue stimulation device that uses neuroplasticity. So it sends signals through the tongue back to the, the brain. And it's now FDA approved for patients with uh, MS, multiple sclerosis, so improves their balance and you know other things. So uh, for someone with MS, I think that's uh, already available as an FDA approved option through their neurologist. Um, I think um, in terms of other therapies, I, I'm excited about stem cells. I think uh, you know it's a bit of a wild west right now in terms of just uh, lack of regulation, but. Um, there are some promising companies that are researching stem cells. So um, there's a company from Australia that is working on a stem cell infusion for um, patients with autoimmune disease. So they studied that in rheumatoid arthritis patients that were uh, refractory, meaning they didn't respond to even the strongest drugs and uh, IV drugs. But a single stem cell infusion actually was um, significantly 
beneficial for 10 months. Um, and when compared to a placebo, you know, I think stem cells can help with the repair and regeneration of damaged tissue and inflammation. So that's some research um, that I'm, I'm following quite closely. And then with the vagus nerve electrical stimulation, yeah, that's something that we it's, it's still new, but very promising research for rheumatoid arthritis and for um, inflammatory bowel disease that it helps with reducing inflammation. It's a, a small implantable device. Um, it's uh, getting smaller and smaller in the next generation, but um, exciting research about the, the role of that in a you know, non-drug therapy to help with bringing down inflammation. Um, and uh, of course, you know, you can all, I'm also a big fan of activating your vagus nerve in every other way that you can, like cold showers, exposure to cold, um, singing, you know, oil pulling, uh, all, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the stress management techniques we talked about earlier can have an effect on the vagus nerve as well. And, um, right. there's an interesting device called the sensate. Have you worked with that at all? Uh, no. Um, I'll send you some information on it later, but it's, uh, you hang it around your neck while you're lying down or sitting down uh-huh. and it, it vibe and it, it rests right on your sternum, like around uh-huh. above the, where the vagus nerve, it vibrates. And, it, and that vibration sends a pulse, you know, through the bones that mm. has a, induces a parasympathetic response. And, mm-hmm. and it does it in rhythm with uh, pre-programmed uh, music that you listen oh. to in headphones. Oh. So I find it to be very relaxing. I've, I've been kind of testing it out and using it lately. Um, I, there's some really cool new things, you know, coming, becoming available. I think that that in a non-invasive way and in a way that is pretty relaxing, stimulate the, the vagus nerve. Yes, yes. Have you um, heard about the Apollo Nero device? I know yes. many of my patients are using that with good yeah. success for parasympathetic activation. Exactly. So that's another good example. And, uh, you know, not, not, not a lot of people have access to this, but sauna is uh, yes. and, yeah. and red light therapy are other interesting pleiotropic modalities that I think have a a lot of beneficial effects for the immune system. Oh yeah, no doubt. And again, feels good, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, uh, treatments or modalities that are enjoyable to do, you know? Yeah. And, and they have so many multiple benefits for different conditions, for your longevity, for your mental health. Yeah, I just I use that word pleiotropic just now for people who aren't familiar with it. That's essentially mm. what it means is, you know, benefits other than what, you know, in in the context of studying drugs or genes, which is where the word came out of it, it 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 means benefits other than perhaps the primary or intended benefit. So if a right. you know, statin drugs were thought to work by lowering cholesterol, but when they talk about the pleiotropic benefits of statins, they mean other effects that aren't related to lowering cholesterol. But in the context that we're talking about it, it means pretty much every th- part of the tiger protocol is pleiotropic, right? right. Like if you, if you help your gut, it's going to have multiple benefits, not just related to your gut. If you do stress mm-hmm. management, relaxation, it's going to have multiple benefits. If you reduce your exposure to toxins, it's going to have multiple benefits. If you yep. get in the sauna, it's going to have multiple benefits. So it's like an upward spiral, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Creating that uh, or the rising tide that lifts all boats, you could say. Yes. Great. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Akil, and I love yeah, the book. Likewise. I think it's a, 
a phenomenal resource for anybody who has autoimmune disease. I highly recommend picking up a copy. And where can people learn more about the book and about your work in general? Um, yeah, so it's sold, you know, wherever uh, books are sold. And um, I've partnered with a number of companies to put together more than $1,000 worth of uh, discounts and bonuses and special offers. Um, so the best way to access that is through my website, which is drakil.com, uh, D-O-C-T-O-R-A-K-I-L.com. Um, and you can pre-order and then enter your name to get instant access to those um, discounts. And um, I know uh, a lot of people have been taking advantage of those and finding benefit already. Fantastic. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Please send your questions to chriscresser.com slash podcast question, and we'll see you next time. That's the end of this episode of Revolution Health Radio. If you appreciate the show and want to help me create a healthier and happier world, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to ask a question for me to answer on a future episode, you can do that at chriscresser.com slash podcast question. You can also leave a suggestion for someone you'd like me to interview there. If you're on social media, you can follow me at twitter.com slash chriscresser or facebook.com slash chriscresserlac. I post a lot of articles and research that I do throughout the week there that never makes it to the blog or podcast, so it's a great way to stay abreast of the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.